we must acknowledge that the genetic COVID-19 genetic injections cause far more harm than good and provide zero benefit relative to risk for the young and healthy. They do not reduce COVID-19 infection, which is treatable and not terminal. Furthermore, the most recent data demonstrates that you are more likely to become infected or have disease or even death if you've been vaccinated compared to the unvaccinated people. This is shocking to hear, but it is what the data are showing us. The data now show that these experimental gene therapy treatments can damage your children as well as yourself. They can damage your heart, your brain, your reproductive tissue, and your lungs. This can include permanent damage and disablement of your immune system. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. And from that point of view, we had to do everything at risk. I really do believe that the federal government is captured, and it's captured by corporate interests. The entire U.S. population, as well as the world, has to understand they can no longer take these COVID vaccines. These are, they are toxic and lethal to an end ineffective that they have completely failed. They can only be viewed as harmful and they need to be stopped. And does it damage the brain? You bet it does. Does it damage the heart? Yes. The liver? Yes. The bone marrow? Yes. It causes all sorts of harm in the human body. We should have stopped this before it ever started. It's a misinformation from the CDC, the FDA, the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the American College of OBGYN, the Society of Maternal Field Medicine. It's a misinformation from those organizations that is causing a lot of death and injury in my women of reproductive age, my pregnant women and my preborn babies. And it's gotta stop, and it's gotta stop now. And for the vaccines broadly, we have no idea what's going to happen long term now that they're in the body. Studies suggest that the vaccines and the spike protein that's produced from them never leaves the human body. The, the first and most important thing, don't take any more vaccines. Don't take any more boosters. Do not take any more of these dangerous experimental therapies. Dear colleagues and supporters, we declare that Pfizer, Moderna, BioNTech, Janssen and AstraZeneca and their enablers willfully withheld and omitted crucial safety and effectiveness information from patients and physicians and should be immediately indicted for fraud. We know that shortly after administration of these products, thousands of people have died. And although correlation isn't causation, 
reasonable criterion have been applied to examine the relationship between injections and the events and it's absolutely clear-cut that these are the cause of death. Mechanistically, the design of these products was knowingly deficient in a number of ways. First, they caused the expression in the human body of toxic virus spike protein. Unlike what they told us that it would stay in the injection site, they distribute widely around the body. There was no built-in limit to the amount of toxic spike protein that can be made or for how long it is made. And that's the cause of the toxicity. Turning to the clinical trials, there is evidence of questionable practices all around. For example, several of the studies were clearly unblinded while they were ongoing, contrary to best practice. And also, in a number of cases, subjects were removed from the database prior to statistical analysis in a way that is suggestive of fraud. We were given blanket assurances time and again by all of the companies about the benign safety profile of their products. Even as the products rolled out in the earliest weeks, they must have known this was not true. To add insult to injury, it appears that these products provide little or no protection from the virus that they sought to protect us from. Two questions get asked when people have hesitancy or reluctance to get vaccinated. Did you go too quickly is the first. The answer to that is the speed was a reflection of extraordinary scientific advances and did not compromise safety, nor did it compromise scientific integrity. The next question is, okay, but what about the fact, is it really safe and is it really effective? Or is this something the government is trying to put over on us? Is this something the companies want to take advantage of? Well, let's take a look at what's happened over the past few months. I'm going to be very clear about this, and I've recently just testified in the U.S. Senate December 7th, 2022, the vaccine is killing people and is killing large numbers of people. It fulfills all the criteria for the Bradford Hill tenets of causality for uh, a medicinal product causing death. Our CDC, as of December 23rd, 2022, has over 16,000 Americans that have died within a few days of taking the vaccine. Now, and that's now, probably a gross underreport. We don't know if these vaccines will work. Uh, we don't know if they'll work to avoid deaths. We don't know if they'll work to avoid transmission. That's why we're working on so many first-generation vaccines. How do we know if these vaccines are working? You'd like it to be very safe in all the populations uh, that you indicate it for no side effects, and then you'd like it to avoid the individual who gets the vaccine getting sick. So where are the criminal charges going to uh, first come? I think the easy ones to go after are illegal advertising. 
The vaccines have been advertised by the CDC, NIH, FDA, DHS, and the vaccine companies as safe and effective. Americans know they can't do that. The vaccines have to be presented with risks and benefits, including fatal myocarditis, blood clots, and neurologic damage. We haven't seen that on TV. That violates the Lemon Act, the Truth and Advertising Act, the U.S. Drug and Cosmetic Act. That is an easy conviction for wrongful advertising of all those entities. That means government entities being called for malfeasance or wrongdoing. And then beyond that, the big charges are fraud. America has been defrauded in so many aspects of pandemic response. Lives have been lost. And I think the big ticket item will be mass negligent homicide. But tying together wrongful advertising, defrauding the, com- the country, and then leading to deaths uh, due to lack of early treatment and then vaccine-induced deaths. Now, if I am here today, it's for a very special reason. Uh, Four weeks ago, I don't know where you saw the video uh, released by the WHO where they proclaimed that it was their intent to introduce mRNA vaccines for all vaccinations on Earth and then go from there to treatment of all other diseases, including cancer, etc. What people do not understand is that all mRNA vaccines are dangerous and are going to threaten life. It does not matter whether the vaccine uh, encodes for the spike protein, for the measles protein, for rubella, for the flu. It does not matter at all. Why? Because the whole danger of the vaccine stems from the ability of the immune system to recognize non-self. See, this cannot be allowed to happen. Even if the WHO said so, don't. And remember, and this is the last thing I want to say, the WHO is a private club, like a private football club, a club that is being financed has been financed at the top by what? Bill Gates. Bill Gates is now number two. Who is the top financier? Germany. The German taxpayers are financing the WHO and enforcing mRNA vaccination. You can't do this. You can't let your children be vaccinated because they are changing mankind. All your personality is going to be changed. Your brain is being changed. And your heart is being weakened. Every injected mRNA vaccine is going to cause severe damage in our body and must be forbidden. Thank you. What concerns me about what Israel is doing is not their efforts to get rid of Hamas, but because of the particular nature of Hamas embedding themselves amongst civilian populations with the masses amounts of civilian casualties that will inevitably come, and that figure will grow and grow and grow. Are we not, as Barack Obama warned, are we not creating here uh, just an, an opportunity for far greater radicalization of all those young Palestinians who watched their loved ones get killed Why would we imagine Mm. that at the end of all this, they're going to want to do anything other than to become a new version of Hamas 
in wanting to exact revenge well, for what happened to their families. Well, two things. One is, if you just follow the logic of what Barack Obama said, then you just shouldn't do anything uh, if you're Israel. You should be attacked and just sit back and say, great, we'll wait for the next one. Um, but the second and more important thing is, your question supposes that there is a sort of peaceful Palestinian population in the Gaza who would love a two-state solution and then a few bad apples in Hamas. I think that's not true. Why is it that when uh, one of the victims of the music festival uh, a poor young German Jewish girl uh, who it seems was was raped and then uh, brutally uh, murdered and taken into the Gaza naked. Why was it that you can find, and anyone can find this online, uh, a crowd of ordinary Gazans, it wasn't a Hamas, it wasn't a Hamas rally, ordinary Gazans uh, uh, spitting on her body, uh, hitting her body, mutilating her body further as it went down the street. Does that strike you, Piers, as a uh, placid population of peacenik types who are just desperately waiting for a two-state solution to be put back on the table for the millionth time in the last 70-something years. It doesn't seem like that to me. No, but there are over two million people in Gaza and there weren't two million people in that video clip. There were a few hundred. So I, I don't like to make... Yeah, well, a few hundred at random. A few hundred at random. And did you see anyone in it saying, hey, guys, stop, we're not meant to mutilate the bodies of, uh, of girls or rape them in public? No, I didn't see that. But, but then what you're really articulating, correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't what you're articulating really an endorsement of collective punishment where you assume they're all guilty no and if they don't stand up to hamas they're also guilty well, and, and that's where people have a problem i think well, with the moral line here which is no if you i'm hold, assuming if I'm you assuming. hold all the gazans equally responsible then is that not collective punishment which is illegal well, first, first of all first of all um uh, there are there is some responsibility for peoples in the gaza um if you elect elect hamas and uh, and they kill uh, Fatah, and then they remain in power for all of the years afterwards. Um, I'm afraid that there is some uh, responsibility of the people in that situation. You know, uh, when the Germans uh, um, had Adolf Hitler come to power and voted for him, uh, we in Britain took the view that the German people were responsible in some way. So I'm not for collective punishment per se, but nor am I for this idea that there is something unique going on in the Israeli-Gaza context that we in Britain couldn't understand. Actually, there is one we unique thing. In our own history, there is, there is very one similar things. But there is one unique thing, which is that the population of Gaza is pretty unique in that nearly half of the population are children. That is a unique situation. No, I'll tell you what's unique about the population of Gaza. It's the only population in the world where people routinely claim Israelis are committing genocide, but which has a population boom all of the time. I mean, th that strikes me as being quite an interesting thing about the Gaza. Um, but as for, as for the moral community, I want to make a very, very important point, if I can say so on this, which is, you know, uh, people quite often abuse history and they say things all the time. I mean, about the only thing anyone from history knows is about the Nazis. Here's something I can tell you with absolute certainty, uh, Piers, having not just seen some of the results of what Hamas did on the ground here in Israel a few weeks ago, but having watched the videos of the unedited footage, uh, which I was one of the journalists um, was sadly allowed to see the other day. I can tell you one thing. The comparison between Hamas and the Nazis is insufficient. And I, sorry, there's an incoming, uh, incoming. Get safe, Douglas. Come, come, come. Oh. Okay, anyhow, we're okay. Are you okay? Um, let's, let's just, yeah, 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 it's fine. Sorry, it was, it was a, it was a 
rocket coming looked like it was just going to land on us here. Which, which way okay. was that rocket coming from? Okay. Was it coming from Gaza or from Israel? Yes, it seemed to be coming from Gaza, so... Yeah, it's fine. It's okay, it's been happening all day. Um, let me just I mean, finish just, this point, just, just Before we go on, um, Douglas, Atman, how does, that make sure. you, how does that make you feel? What just happened there? I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a little used to it. I was in Ukraine last year and was in Kherson and uh, uh, Odessa and uh, Mikhailayev and when the Russians were shelling it, so I'm a little used to it. Um, uh, but just, if I can just finish this point, you know, this, sorry, there's a lot of banging going on, but anyway, we'll keep going. Um, well, look, if you the, need to, if you need to stop, strikes, Douglas, we understand. The, no, no, don't worry. If we need to stop, I'll, I'll, I'll run to the shelter, I assure you. Um, the, the thing that strike, struck me, you know, Piers, about seeing the 7th of October footage was that, um, uh, even the Nazis were actually ashamed of what they did. You know, SS battalions who spent their days shooting Jews in the back of the head and pushing them into, uh, into trenches had to get very, very drunk in the evening to uh, uh, forget what they had done. Uh, the Nazi high command famously had to sort of get around the problem of soldier morale because the soldiers knew this wasn't exactly what their lives were meant to look like either. I tell you one very big difference. If you look at the footage, the raw footage, and I really hope people don't on a wider scale have to view what I viewed the other day. Um, if they see it, they will see something that is at least as barbaric as what the Nazis did. But here's the difference. They did it with glee. They were deeply proud. You see people um, uh, trying to, you know, taking the head off a young Israeli man with a shovel and then uh, calling their parents back in Gaza and telling them, father, father, I've killed two Jews, with my, t 10 Jews with my own hands, get mother on the phone. I want to show, tell her how great a job her son has done. You know, I, I come back to this thing. I'm not exaggerating with this. It's very, very interesting and people need to realize. You had this situation with, uh, with the Nazis where they also were a genocidal anti-Semitic organization, but they tried to cover their crimes up. Hamas are actually proud of them, mm. and they've said they will do them until the whole world is clear, f clear of Jews. Yeah. So I suggest we take that seriously, and I think that Israel is taking it seriously. I hope they continue to take it seriously, but I think the world should take it seriously, and that includes Britain. And when I hear British journalists, British commentators, and British politicians lecturing the Israelis on what they should do, I think, I'm sorry, this shows a failing in our country. It shows that we in Britain cannot enforce our laws. We don't even enforce our borders in Britain. It's us that is the weak link in the international security chain on this, not Israel. People keep saying, oh, you know, civil war is a stupid thing to say. And it's like, dude, it's not just that Trump has been indicted on like 91 or 94 counts. It's not just that they've arrested his lawyers. It's not just that a couple of his lawyers have just been sentenced to five and six years of probation for being his lawyers. It's not just that they're going after Alex Jones in what is clearly going to destroy a media outlet uh, and that he got no trial for it. It's yeah, not just insane. that Donald Trump was found in a summary judgment to have committed fraud without a trial in New York. It's not just that a judge said Donald Trump's properties are worth a fraction of what they're actually worth, even to the protest 
of uh, 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 of finance experts and real estate experts. It is not just that they have been targeting Trump supporters, J6ers, solitary confinement. It's not just that far leftists have received no penalty for the hundreds who stormed the Capitol recently. They light, light slap on the wrist. Good evening and welcome to Crossroads. Now, if you've been watching Crossroads for a while, you might remember us talking before about a U.S. government agency called CISA. This is the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Now, at first glance, you might think it's about protecting government infrastructure from things like cyber attacks. I mean, at least that's what the name would suggest. But in reality, CISA was carrying out a mass censorship campaign in the United States. Its main targets, interestingly, were conservatives. And this represents not just direct evidence of government censorship in violations of the First Amendment, but also the government's manipulation of every U.S. election since 2016. The House Judiciary Committee just released a detailed report on this government operation. It puts a serious damper on one of the big narratives on censorship we've been told for a while now. Conservatives, they've been crying afoul about government censorship for years. This had mainly to do with political censorship on you know, social media sites, places like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. The common narrative on the left to counter that claim has usually been along the lines that censorship is only censorship if the government does it. And the argument was that private businesses, they have a right to moderate content as they see fit, which they do. And if government tried to step in and tell social networks, for example, that they couldn't remove content that they don't want on their platforms, then that would actually be government interference with the companies and also their freedom of speech. But it turns out this is not what was happening. Now, we discovered through the so-called Twitter files that government agencies were in fact running campaigns of political censorship. This included evidence at the FBI, for example, that they were directly communicating with social networks to flag content, which was then deleted or hidden from the public based on their recommendations. Now, this showed a type of public-private partnership, and this raised questions over whether censorship by proxy could still be regarded as government censorship and on that a violation of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Now, there are legal cases on that right now, and the debate on it's likely not going to end until it goes to the Supreme Court and they make a decision. But now something else has been uncovered. It turns out now the Department of Homeland Security was running a large-scale censorship campaign, even bigger than the FBI one. It follows a similar model to what we knew about before, the public-private partnership that lets government agencies censor people by proxy. Only now, it seems the system actually goes deeper. Representative Jim Jordan of the House Judiciary Committee, the chairman, he gave a brief overview on X about the new findings, and he detailed hundreds of secret reports that show Department of Homeland Security, CIA, and the State Department working with Stanford University to censor Americans. Now, a big focus of this campaign was to impact the 2020 elections. And information that was censored, well, it included news reports that were accurate. It included people posting jokes and opinions. In other words, 
This was about, this was not about so-called misinformation or disinformation. It was protected speech that they were censoring. And this can represent a major violation of the basic rights of Americans. Not the fact, not, not uh, also in the fact in itself, it could represent a form of really just direct election interference. Now, Representative Jim Jordan wrote that federal government disinformation experts at universities, big tech, and others worked together through the Election Integrity Partnership to monitor, censor American speech. It says the big bombshell here, really in my opinion, is that new, the Election Integrity Partnership, or EIP, he says, was created at the request of CISA. Now, Representative Jordan posted two internal messages explaining this. One is an email stating, We just set up an election integrity partnership at the request of DHS CISA and are in weekly comms to debrief on disinformation, I.O., etc. This basically means that the government was not just communicating with platforms to flag content, which we knew about before, and that could you know, then be removed. That type of action really walks a fine line when it comes to legalities. The new evidence is more direct. The new evidence means that the federal government was involved in creating an organization which then recruited private organizations to do its bidding. In other words, it gives the appearance that people and organizations were recruited by the government to do whatever it wanted, to violate laws that they could not themselves get around. Now, Representative Jordan explained how it worked. He said that the Election Integrity Project, which included the federal government notably, would submit reports on so-called misinformation. The EIP would then analyze the report and find similar reports across the Internet. Then the EIP would send the reports to big tech companies like social networks, along with recommendations on how to censor the content. Now, the House Judiciary Committee report noted that Congress was only able to get the documents showing how the system worked after they threatened to hold people in contempt. In other words, even though this was a government operation being run with private companies, it was being hidden from the public. And the initial refusal of some of those involved to keep the documents from Congress suggests that at least someone didn't want the public or even members of Congress to know about what they were doing. Now, the campaign mostly targeted conservatives, as I noted. It targeted everyone to an extent, all groups, but conservatives, the main ones. And among the people who were being silenced, it included President Donald Trump, as well as many news outlets and top influencers. This could represent a direct attack on the freedom of the press. Now, I'd personally argue this represents a direct attack on the foundations of the American system of government the ability of the public to cast their votes and choose their elected leaders. Our election system in America depends on an informed public making informed decisions. And if the government, or even worse, a particular political party, decides to filter information that people rely on when making those decisions, then this represents a direct assault on America's foundation with its elections. Public debate was being stifled. Key information that could have changed the way people cast their votes was being deleted or hidden from the public. 
The House Judiciary Committee published internal communications detailing what was happening behind the scenes. And they show some of the content that was being flagged by EIP. And it turns out, guess what? The Epic Times was being censored through this system. And this includes many of our stories about problems with the 2020 elections. The internal communications, they even detailed the amount of engagement that our posts were getting on social media. I'll give you a few examples. It notes that the government system, this is the content made to flag our content for censorship. It says this, Biden getting 21K dead voters in Pennsylvania Epic Times. Thousands of fake voters in Nevada. Consolidated narrative of ways Dems cheated through mail-in ballots. Consolidated narrative of how the CCP has influenced the elections. Now, those are not headlines. Those are the notes from the EIP to categorize our content and to try to ensure the public didn't see our reports on those topics. It also includes communications on plans to censor news outlets on Facebook. Now, this is a note in September of 2020. It flags both the Daily Wire and the Epic Times for having Facebook pages where content goes beyond the technical scope of the pages, they argued. Now, it claimed that the Daily Wire's page, called Angry Republican, doesn't represent a real unique media brand. It claims that the Epic Times Texas page doesn't represent any real media brand in Texas. And, of course, that's nonsense. Epic Times does have a branch in Texas, and many news outlets post content on local pages with national news. Now, interestingly, the EIP internal communication, it even acknowledges that it did not have grounds to censor us or Daily Wire on these grounds. It says this, quote, these may not constitute coordinated inauthentic behavior as Facebook defines it, suggesting they knew what they were doing. And of course, most news outlets have social media pages and most of them have different pages for different audiences. But EIP stretched the definitions using their own interpretations in order to flag our articles. Now, articles they flagged for censorship included information about election fraud. EIP was censoring testimonies from poll watchers who were reporting on fraud. It was censoring some of the early claims of illegal ballot stuffing. It was restricting the public from becoming aware of reported problems with our election system. This is an Epic Times post that was censored in 2020. Quote, we expect that number to grow substantially. The Nevada GOP announced that its lawyers have sent AG Barr a criminal referral alleging at least 3,062 cases of voter fraud in the state. Here's another they censored in 2020. Whistleblower saw people in Biden van opening, filling, and sealing Nevada ballots, Trump campaign claims. Now, it wasn't just content on elections either. It looks like they were even targeting news that could be popular on social media, things that could go viral. They even censored this piece for some weird reason about a chihuahua looking for a home. Now, other content that got censored included early reports that would be federal on the, there would be federal vaccine mandates and reports about the COVID vaccines not stopping transmission. Now, this would represent accurate information. The government did have a vaccine mandate. It turned out the vaccines did not stop transmission, but it was being censored and concealed from the public.
the full picture on government censorship is slowly becoming more clear. And of course, as it develops, I'll be talking more about this on this show. Now, in other news, local elections held yesterday in the U.S. have Republicans reassessing their platforms to 2024. We'll be talking about this more after the break. Welcome back. First off, you might be wondering where I've been. Well, I had gotten leads in a Chinese Communist Party campaign of cultural warfare and political warfare, and I was in South Korea investigating this. It was important stuff. Normally, I don't like missing a show, but I felt that my team and I, really what we discovered, needs to be exposed. Uh, we're going to be premiering a special feature on this investigation next week, so stay tuned for updates on that. But now, on another note... Local elections on October 7th had Democrats winning key races in several U.S. states. And this included gubernatorial races in Kentucky and Mississippi and state house contests in Virginia. The Democrat Party gained momentum leveraging the abortion issue, interestingly. And among Republicans, the losses have them really just reassessing their approaches to fundraising and also some key issues with their political platforms. Here to talk with us about some of what's being discussed now in the major takeaways is Epic Times political reporter Lawrence Wilson. Hey, Lawrence, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you, Josh. So a lot to go into on the elections yesterday. Um, I saw some reports Republicans came up short on fundraising. Any thoughts on what caused the shortages with fundraising? Well, a few, and I don't know that there's one uh, one answer there. Uh, one thing is that the, the Democrats have always been better at small dollar donations. Now, Republicans have been catching up on that, doing very well with the online donations, the five and ten dollar donations that really add up. That slowed down a lot over the summer, so that could have been a factor, even though that was starting to turn around in the third quarter. Another thing that's happened is the races are just getting more expensive. It costs more money to run one of these campaigns. And in Mississippi, for example, where I am right now, and just covered the governor's race last night, uh, a lot of out-of-state dollars came in for the Democratic challenger, Brandon Presley, who was supported to the tune of over $3 million by the Democratic Governors Association. So that's another disadvantage for some politicians when their opponent is getting a big influx of out-of-state cash. It's interesting. I mean, I know kind of all eyes are on 2024, and I know some people point to Trump with this. A lot of Trump supporters, they're not necessarily Republicans. In fact, I think a lot of them don't even like the Republican Party per se. How do you think that factors into it, or do you think it factors into it? Well, <laughs> President Trump is a fundraising machine. Here's a guy that could raise almost $10 million off of a mugshot. So he does like take a lot of the money out of the system. For example, last quarter, his fundraising was just under $46 million. So he is soaking up a lot of bucks. And uh, people are looking at this as a potential so far between uh, President Trump and President Biden. So they're kind of putting their money where they think the two, 2024 race is going to be. So I think that's really helping uh, President Trump at this point. Yeah, I mean, on that note, I've been seeing or hearing reports, at least, that Biden's not fundraising as well as Trump. And so what's the difference at the presidential, you know, at the presidential race level versus what we saw on the local level? 
Yeah, uh, Biden actually is doing okay in the last quarter. His his dollars were about as good as Trump's. So he's still getting support from the true blue Democratic base. Whether that will continue as things progress into this race, whether that will continue with the small dollar donations, the retail politics donations, uh, uncertain. But the big money donors are still putting their money with President Biden. I know one of the big topics right now is abortion. Democrat, it seems like people are saying the Democrats won based on the abortion issue. What do you think the election showed us on this? Well, it showed us that that issue is more alive than ever. Uh, for years, abortion <clears throat> was, a, was a protest issue. Uh, it was thought to be settled law in the Roe versus Wade decision. Of course, there was the hope uh, among conservatives, pro-lifers, that enough Supreme Court justices could turn that around. But for most elected officials, there was very little they could do on a policy basis. So it was easy for everybody to be pro-life. Now, when people have to govern on that, we're really seeing a gradation in pro-life views. You have the purest views in which uh, abortion should never or very, very seldom be allowed, and a little bit more permissive views. For example, uh, former presidential candidate Mike Pence uh, was advocating a 15-week abortion ban. Some people would say that's way too liberal. Uh, but we're seeing that not all Republicans think alike on the abortion issue. That's what's really happening. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember Trump actually came out because, you know, of course, the Republicans were debating on it. And Trump actually was not an absolutist on it. He I wouldn't say he took the middle ground, but uh, he, he did seem to suggest that abortion in some cases could be allowed. Um, and of course, he got he got criticized by the more, you know, strong Christian base. Do you think Trump was smart with that? I, I assume he doesn't actually support abortion, but I, I assume he's doing it because he knows that you can't I think he assesses you can't go fully against it. Do you think that's a proper assessment given the way we just saw the local elections go? I, I think that is a proper assessment because what we saw in Ohio, for example, a referendum, a ballot measure in order to enshrine the right to abortion, certain other uh, healthcare uh, reproductive decisions in the state's constitution, that passed with 50 six percent of the vote that's pretty strong and that shows you that uh, the polls we've been seeing for years which say that most people including a lot of republicans a lot of conservative voters are somewhere in the middle on this issue and i think uh, president trump's comments a while back i think they reflected that reality well you know it's interesting i, I mean on a personal level i think i'm i'm pretty much absolute i don't support abortion but I know that there was some estimate, there, there was some discussion that with all the new Latin American voters, move, a lot of them moving more conservative, um, really for them abortion is a really divisive issue. A lot of them don't, don't support it either. It seems like abortion was always one of the key dividing lines between Republicans and Democrats. It was one of the issues like that and gun control that was the normal debating topic. What do you think yeah. changed? Well, again, I think it's this question of uh, one, of having to govern on an issue versus to state your personal opinion on an issue. Those can be very different and very much trickier to govern on it. Another is that uh, the electorate's been changing, as you point out, in some ways more conservative. But, uh, you know, a lot of per, uh, excuse me, a lot of suburban districts, you got some purple in there and you're finding that in uh, 
you know, more upscale suburban districts, uh, conservative people are not as socially conservative as we've always thought that Republicans were supposed to be. It's just not the case. And I think, as you mentioned, a lot of President Trump's supporters don't really consider themselves Republicans. And uh, they, they coalesce around a certain subset of issues, like border security, for example, uh, as one example, but uh, not necessarily on the quote unquote traditional Republican issues, the pro-life issue being one of them. So I think we're seeing a little bit bigger tent in the Republican Party than we've been used to for, say, the last 25 or 30 years. Yeah, and that brings up, I think, another issue as well, which is the centrist parties and, you know, centrism in America. There's the No Labels Party, for example. RFK Jr. is kind of shaking things up. There's been debates on whether RFK Jr. would take votes from Biden or Trump. Some people say that he, well, I think RFK Jr. himself says he'll probably take more votes from Trump. What do you think the elections show us when it comes to centrist voters? How do, how do you think they're going to fall on the, on the ballot? Yeah, there was, there was a, a lot of races at all levels. Uh, we could talk about school board in a second if you want to. A lot that were very divisive. Uh, but one that was not was the Kentucky governor's race, where Andy Bashir, a centrist Democrat, was elected in a really deep red state that holds a supermajority uh, Republican in both houses of the state legislature. Very red state, but it's a Democratic governor, and he was reelected to a second term. He campaigned on the idea of uh, working with anybody that wants to work with him on the issues that matter to Kentuckians. So when we're talking about uh, roads, when we're talking about a state income tax and issues that matter on the state and local level, uh, a lot of these issues just are not partisan or not as partisan. In Mississippi, as I mentioned, uh, the Democratic challenger, Brandon Presley, was actually in favor of some tax cuts that the Republican incumbent was not in favor of. So you think of tax cuts as a Republican issue, not necessarily all the time. So I think there is room in the middle on these real life everyday issues that are not as divisive as the, the big issues that we see in national politics, for example. That's interesting. Do you think it's more that America is maybe more purple? You know, maybe because you mentioned that we both mentioned a lot of Trump voters. They're not necessarily Republicans. Do you think that the winning ticket is going to be the middle of the road kind of centrist view, or do you think it's more that you know maybe they just got the uh, the issues they were focused on wrong? Well, that is super hard to say for 2024. I think there are a lot of people. I think RFK is exposing this. There are a lot of people who are tired of uh, both sides and the divisiveness. So uh, it's not so much that there's more purple, but that people are just not as, as extreme as their views on one particular issue. Mm-hmm. Nationally, I think we're still seeing that border security, the questions about foreign aid for Ukraine, uh, gender issues, the, the things that really are divisive are still animating the conversation. And I think abortion is definitely gonna be one of those issues in the next cycle. Yeah, great, great points. Lawrence, thanks for joining us, I appreciate it. My pleasure, thank you, Josh. Well, that's all for tonight. Thank you for joining us and as always, stay informed and stay free.